How well do you know your Old Testament? Do you value the Old Testament? Do you think you need the Old Testament? One of the things, I mean, I, I guess it's okay to have a, a little New Testament in Psalms if you like cutting out half of your Bible. It's like Sarah taking one of the books that she writes and starting in the middle and telling the story. Or she's written how many books now? Five? So throw the first two away and we just pick up in the third one. What we lose we don't know who the characters are. We don't know what the story is. We don't know why they're where they are and what they're doing. Without your Old Testament, you're, you're losing the foundation. Which we know is Christ. But I mean the foundation of the story. The story of redemption that God is working out in history. I mean think about the foundation of your house. Do you value the foundation of your house? Yeah. Without it, you know, storm hits, planted on the sand, washed away. You better bet value it. You've heard this said, the new is in the old concealed. And the old is in the new revealed. The New Testament is simply the Old Testament rightly interpreted in the light of the coming of Christ, who is the predicted Messiah. They are teaching, when they were teaching the scriptures in the early church, they were teaching the Old Testament to the people. New Testament is an inspired commentary and explanation of the Old Testament, which includes the Old Covenant and the predicted New Covenant and showing how the New Covenant has come and Christ has fulfilled the Mosaic Covenant, right? We're under a better covenant. We have a better high priest, Hebrews. I mean, Jesus greater than Moses, his covenant greater than the Old, his priesthood greater and the fulfillment of it. Think about this. The first lesson Jesus taught after the resurrection was an explanation of the Old Testament and how it was all about Him. Luke 24, Road to Emmaus. He shows the disciples that all of the Old Testament is about Him. His teaching was filled with references to the Old Testament and explanations of it. And so are the apostles and so is the rest of the New Testament. So that's what we see in Acts 7. There are a lot of accusations flying around and Stephen is going to answer the accusations and he is, he is being accused of not valuing his history, not valuing the scriptures, distorting and twisting them. He's probably teaching the truth of what Jesus said about himself being the fulfillment of the temple and in him we're the temple. You see Paul explained that. Old covenant to new covenant, new covenant in Christ, law in the heart. Now, yes, we love the commandments as we were reading in Psalm 119, if we rightly understand. But Stephen knew his scriptures well. He knew his Old Testament well. And before his martyrdom, he gives a master class and a review of the unfolding of God's plan in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. And how God's people, for the most part, had resisted God's grace. And that, that's where he ends and that's what he tells the leadership. That just like their fathers, they resist the Holy Spirit. They're resisting the gospel. They're rejecting their own Messiah. And he's stoned and killed for it. And I struggled with what to do. What do we do with chapter 7? If you go, if you go look at a lot of sermons and a lot of preaching through Acts, you'll see that chapter 7 is dealt with in one sermon a lot of times, so that you get the flow of it and you see his argument. And I understand that. But I thought there's way too much here to do that. So I decided for us to slow down and take each character Stephen talks about and give a summary of that character and explanation. Hopefully that whets your appetite to go back and read more fully about each one. And hopefully we will hold together his argument. We will see his conclusion and see what they do with it. But I'm going to I'm going to focus this morning on Abraham. Abram, who becomes Abraham. Because that's where Stephen starts. And so that's why we're going to look at just the first eight verses. Abraham is an important character. How much do you know about him? He is the father of all of the faithful. The father of those uncircumcised Gentiles who come to faith. The father of the circumcised Jews who come to faith. You can read all that in Romans 4. And I've said this before and I want to encourage you again. 
Make it a goal to understand the book of Romans. Why? If, if you understand the book of Romans, you will understand the entire Bible. You will understand the teaching of the Bible. Maybe not the minute details in some places, but you will get the big picture. You will get the gospel. You will get Jesus. You will understand. And, the, and Romans talks a lot about Abraham. But we're in Acts this morning. And we're going to see, and Abraham is a positive example. Abram to Abraham, he's a positive example of faith. And that's the way the Bible treats him. We'll see in, in Hebrews 11, we see some in Romans, we see in other places that he is lifted up as a positive example of faith. The kind of faith that God gives, that he nurtures, that he sustains to the end. And we see in Abraham that he had faith to follow God's will. He had faith to wait on God's will. Pretty simple. We see that him here and we see that hopefully coming from this text and we'll, we'll expand upon it a little bit. But we have enough in God's word to enable us to joyfully follow God's will in Christ and to live as exiles and strangers in this world. We have enough in God's word to enable us to joyfully follow God's will the revealed in Christ, the Word, and to live as exiles and strangers in this world. But to follow His will, it's, it's both to follow His will and wait on His will. This world is not our home. This is not where to store our treasure. This is not where our hearts are to be. But they're to be in heaven. So let's just take a quick look at what Stephen says about Abraham and see what we can apply from what Stephen says about Abraham. But in verses 1 to 4, you see Abraham's faith to follow God's will. And this is amazing, and don't miss this. Pay careful attention when you read Scripture and you read uh, about people and, and, and go back and research them in the Old Testament and you will, you will gain a lot of insight. But Stephen said, after being accused and then the high priest saying, are these things so? He starts with Abraham. He's going to explain the faith and then he's going to end up being martyred. But with Abraham, it says this, brothers and fathers, notice the respect. I mean, they're sneering and growling at him and lying about him. He says, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land, from your kindred, and go into the land I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. So God gave Abraham clear direction. Clear direction. He was not a righteous person at the point that God picked him out and removed him from Ur of the Chaldees. He was an idolater on whom God's grace was placed. And He called him out and He gave him clear direction. Clear direction from the Word of God. In Genesis 12, 1-3 it says this, and I encourage you, I'm going to encourage you again to go back and read Genesis the end of chapter 11 through the first of chapter 25 and you will see how Genesis deals with Abraham and you'll see much more detail in his life. But it says this in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord had said, literally that imperfect there probably should be translated had said. Because as Stephen says, he called him out before he was in Haran. If that bugs you, that's the answer, but never mind. The Lord said to Abram, notice he's not Abraham yet, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, Paul says, God preaching the gospel, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Wow. Look what God asks him to do. Leave everything. Forsake everything. 
Give up everything that's familiar to you. In verse 1 of Genesis 12, that quote, it says, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. That's why I said, wow. He called Abraham to separate from his homeland, from his family, from everything that was familiar to him. And go. Not given any details. This is where we're going. This is how you're going to get here. This is how I'm going to take care of you on the way. This is... Go. Get out of here. Remove yourself from this context. And it was an idolatrous context. And Remove yourself from your homeland and family. He didn't tell him where he was going. He just said, go. Pause a minute. We want to know all the details, don't we? God doesn't do that. I remember going to seminary and it, it, was, it would become clear to us that we needed to go and go full time and that there was a lot of things that would have to happen and a lot of them are financial. How's this going to work? But I can tell you now, step by step, God provided. And just the right time to grow us in grace. He's not always on our timetable. Sometimes he is. Sometimes he's ahead of what we even think or ask. But he's saying, Abraham, get up and go. From your household, from your land, from your kindred. Leave your family. Certainly leave their religion. Trust me and take the next step. I will take care. Of the details. Follow me. Go with me. I mean, Jesus said that to the disciples. If you read the Gospels, when he says, follow me, he didn't say a lot of details. And in that context, you had to literally get up and leave and follow him around the dusty roads of Palestine to be a disciple. When God converts a soul, God becomes the most important voice. And the most important relationship. And he has that time literally asked people to forsake all. There's a story told of a grandfather who pulls up in his pickup truck to his grandson and said, you want to go with me? And his grandson said, where are you going? At that point, the grandfather put it in drive and left. When he came back, the, the grandson said, why did you leave me? He said, if you really wanted to be with me, it wouldn't have mattered where I was going. Really wasn't the details that was most important. It was the love of his grandfather. God asked Abraham to forsake all, to go to a new place and a new people God is starting something new in Abraham. He is going to use him to birth Israel. But for that to happen, he has to go. If Jesus is our highest desire, it doesn't matter where we go or what he's calling us to, as long as he is there. Heaven is where Jesus is. So Abraham is called to leave family, to leave the idolatrous practices, to leave everything, and to go. He's a... One of the reasons I encourage you to go back and read the Old Testament is it's not as clean and clear and quick as sometimes it reads in the New Testament. Because he doesn't exactly leave everybody at first. Now, he's never criticized for this, but I'm just bringing out what I read in Scripture. He kind of went with his daddy. And he kind of took his, grand, you know, his nephew, which is his daddy's grandson. And it's probably a lot of his daddy's voice in his ear. Okay, we will do that and go. Well, his daddy dies in Haran. 
And then you know the story about how he and Lot had to separate. God finally gets him in the land, away from family, to accomplish his will. And he does that. And you say, you might pause and say, but God would never ask me or us, any of us, to leave our families. Matthew 19, 29, Jesus said this. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Now, God will never call on you to forsake your covenantal obligations. Because you have pledged till death do us part. You have birth, children. But God may call some of you to the mission field, which will mean you will leave father, mother, friends, children. And sometimes adults go into the mission field with their children, but spend a lot of time away from them in that mission. Sacrifice. I mean, military families do it all the time, right? You sacrifice for the country. And sometimes we have to make those kind of sacrifices to follow Christ and they're not easy but Abraham is called away takes his wife right needed to like that but he's called away and he goes on the basis of the call no details God how's this going to work how can I go to seminary? I own a house in Columbia. First day on the market at Seoul. First day. Before the, before the sign was in the yard. It hit the MLS and it sold. And that's just the beginning of the whole story of God providing. Same with Abraham. Go read his life. And he makes some missteps. He doesn't do it perfectly. There's some lying involved and stuff like that. But God calls him out. Calls him out. The church are those that are called out. When you come to faith in Christ, it will cost you sometimes your family. Because they will disown you. That doesn't happen as much in this country. Right? But it will. More and more. It will certainly cost you friends. Hey, listen, if you've not been a Christian and you've been hanging with a certain group of people and you become a Christian, you think everything's going to stay the same with those friends? Abraham made the sacrifices on, on the basis of God's call to him. And we know that God was at work in him, working this faith and this obedience and bringing him out to make him a great nation, ultimately to bring through that nation his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he was only giving, given future promises, not details. He wasn't given the how and the when. He's given the who, like Job. I am God and there is no other. Come out. Be separate. God's promises to him, notice that. God said, I will make you a great name. We're still talking about him. He does have a great name. Father of all the faithful in Romans. Make of you a great nation. As numerous as the sands of the sea, even the physical descendants through which Christ would come. And then blessing to the end of the earth. That's the gospel to not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. A people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will come to faith. He said to Abraham, and you look in the context of making covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. There's so much here I can't talk about. But he told Abraham, Abraham was justified by faith alone, just like we are. And that's the point Romans makes. Abraham was not justified by works. I mean, this is Romans 4. You can go read it. But by faith. By faith alone. In Genesis 15, 5 and 6, it says, God speaking to Abram, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able. Now, he doesn't have any children. And he's old. 
looked toward heaven and numbered the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him, accredited to him as righteousness. Righteousness was credited to his account. He was justified. Declared righteous on the basis of another which we know is Christ. One of those seed or the main seed, the seed that will come through from Him and through Him will be a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Blessing to the ends of the earth. You know, I'm mentioning, 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 and I don't have a slide for this, but I am going to read it to you just so you can hear it. Paul, after preaching justification by faith alone, saying that, uh, that we are justified, listen to verse 24, chapter 3, that we are justified by His grace as a gift. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. He says, well, what about Abraham? In chapter 4, what then shall we say by, was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him or credited to him as righteous. Now listen. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. It's on the basis of Jesus, not us, that God declares us righteous through the gospel and brings us to faith in Christ, unites us to Christ, justifies us on the basis of Christ, adopts us into his family, sanctifies us, and he finishes that work. He has begun that work in Abraham who was justified by faith alone. And Abraham's obedience, as I've already said, was imperfect. He, had, he loved God. He wanted to please God. He had, he let, he, that's, I mean, if you want to, we might could be a little nitpicky about slow to leave family and lying about Sarah and being afraid and all of those things, but he left everything to follow God's will. Leaving everything familiar to go where God was sending him. What a picture of Jesus, the Son, the mediator of the new covenant. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit plan redemption in eternity past and a people given to the Son and He comes to mediate for them. And then He lives and dies and was raised from the grave fully accomplishing their redemption and the Holy Spirit applies that then through to us through the preaching of the Gospel so that we come to faith and trust in this Messiah who was planned before the foundation of the world. But if you read Philippians 2, Jesus willingly left everything familiar to be humiliated on this earth, to be born in a stable and live under His own law and keep it perfectly in thought, word, and deed. He's the only one who's ever done that. He was righteous and just and deserved blessing, but He took our sin upon Himself. He turned the wrath of God from us to Him and He died on that cross to pay the penalty for our sin. The Son of God, God and man, the God-man, died to pay the penalty for our sin and He drank that cup dry. He bore the wrath of God against our sin and He drank that cup dry and He said, It is finished. The only way He could sustain the wrath and take eternal hell for every one of His people on Himself and drink that cup dry was if He was God. A very God. And the only way He could represent us and mediate for us is if He was man of like nature as we. 
Two natures, one person forever. Sin paid for in full. Salvation, a free gift because He has earned it. He is the basis upon which we are declared righteous. But we not only get a perfect Savior, we get a new heart. The Spirit, as the Gospel is preached, raises us, spiritually speaking, from the dead. And the first cry of that baby is repentance and faith, turning from unbelief and love of sin to Jesus and receiving Him and trusting in Him as their Lord and Savior. There is no distinction. You can't pick Christ apart and have Him as Savior but not Lord. You can't be a believer but not a disciple. They are all one cup. Jesus came to save us because we can't save ourselves. And God had planned that from eternity past and planned to bring it about through the faith He would give Abraham and call him out and use him to produce children in his old age through whom would come Israel and they would fail just like Adam failed and just like we fail, through whom would come Jesus the Messiah who would succeed to save His people. Are you trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone this morning? Because you're not good enough to depend upon your own works. All of our righteousness is filthy rags, the Bible says in Isaiah. We either offer to God our sin or we are hidden in His Son who is the only one who can offer to God righteousness. We will be saved as a gift or we won't be saved at all. And we keep His commandments as we've read and as we sing about because we love Him, because we know He loved us first. Because of His grace, He's given us a new heart to want to love Him and to keep His commandments. Okay, so Abraham left everything, Stephen says. He gave it all up. He came to this land in obedience to God. And there was a purpose for that. And that's eventually to bring forth Christ. We know that. But secondly, Abraham had faith to wait for God's will. Look at this in, in verse 5. Yet he, God, gave him, Abraham, no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring... Now the detail, notice this, what God predicted. Making covenant with him in, in Genesis 15, he tells them the details of what's going to happen to his, his offspring in Egypt. Now to the years it will happen. His offspring would be sojourners, travelers, exiles, aliens, not at home in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them 400 years. But God says, I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. So Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob the twelve. Faith to wait. To live as an alien. God called him into the land that he could not inherit at that time. But promised that he and his seed would have it later. He and his seed. Not just his seed. New heavens, new earth. At that time, he was when it says a foot's length, it's a stride. It's a step length. Not even that much could he call his. Not even that much was his land at that time, his inheritance. Not even a step of land, only a promise. And Abraham believed God and trusted for a better inheritance. Look at this in, in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. I'm giving you places to go read where you can read more. But Hebrews 11, verse 8. Now this is a div divine commentary, right? This is the Word of God. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Now, it was too later, right? But not at the time when he lived. We've seen that. And he went out not knowing where he was going. In case you thought maybe God gave him some details that he didn't write about in the Word. 
He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now look, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And Sarah, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. God is very gracious in recording Sarah there. Because we know at first she laughed just like Abraham did. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, (laughs) were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people, people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. He left his country, his family, his earthly inheritance and went to the land that in that lifetime would not be his inheritance but would be in fulfillment of God's promises. And he lived as an exile in that land, very blessed, waiting for God's full fulfillment of the promise. The promised land was not his home, not that promised land of that day. The world was not his home. But he waited on the new heavens and the new earth in faith, trusting God and walking with God while he was on this earth. He had faith to live and wait on his right home, his true home. This earth was not his home. He was just passing through. We get too attached to this place, don't we? We're spoiled and blessed in America and we have nice homes and nice cars and nice clothes and, you know, a bunch of kids and far few of them, you know, die than used to and they live and they grow older and we just get rooted here. We live as though this is our home. Instead of as exiles and aliens and strangers. Storing our treasure in heaven. And waiting for that true home to come. Well, he had faith to wait on God's promises. He had faith to live through hardship. And his descendants would live through hardship. And God is honest. In this world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, right? Jesus said that. I've overcome it for you. He said that they would be enslaved. I mean, think about this. 400 years. Some of their, some of Abraham's descendants knew nothing but slavery their whole life. No relief. No deliverance. 400 years. And then God brought them out. The Exodus. But He gives faith to live through hardship. And the faith journey includes hardship. He predicted, God predicted both hardship and blessing. Blessing to all the nations. Great name. Great nation. Blessing to all the nations through you. Gospel. Messiah coming through you. Abraham knew way more about that than we think he did. Deliverance through Joseph. Hardship and slavery. Deliverance in the Exodus. Wanderings. Promised land. The story is much bigger than Abraham's personal Life. But God grants faith to break it through, to live through hardship. And listen, the Jewish leadership and the people listening to Stephen talking about this, they are nodding in agreement all the way through this. Wow, this guy really does know the truth. He is, he really is teaching the truth about Abram, our forefather, Abraham. Faith to walk through hardship and faith to live by grace. In verse 8, he gave him the covenant of circumcision. The sign of the covenant of circumcision before there ever was a Moses or a temple. Right? Circumcision was the sign 
of the covenant. It was given to Abraham. That's Genesis 17. If you want to go read that, at one point it's called the covenant, and another it's the sign of the covenant. Picturing what we need as a new heart, regeneration, flesh cut away, fulfilled in Jesus, Colossians says, who was circumcised, went through a death circumcision for us on the cross in Colossians. But Abraham was in the grace of God. God made covenant with him. His covenant, his covenant of grace, gift of salvation through a mediator to his people, not covenant of works, which Adam failed, we all fail. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised the third day. Jesus was circumcised. He was cut off. He died. He took the curse for us. Pictured even here through Abraham, the gift, God making covenant with him and giving him the sign of the covenant, requiring that of the people. You see that come through in the Mosaic law and being fulfilled in Christ. And done away with new covenant coming in. Baptism becoming a sign of the covenant. Circumcision is fulfilled in Christ's death. It's fulfilled in regeneration. New heart. Through union with Christ. Which baptism pictures. God promised the land to Abraham and his children and his offspring. All of those who would come to faith in Jesus. Romans 4.13 says that that promise was expanded to Abraham being promised the world, new heavens and new earth. And that Galatians 3 tells us that it, there was the one seed, Abraham's seed, was Christ. If you're 3.29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All given by grace not by works, through faith. Faith alone in Christ alone. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. See, the plan was much bigger than Abraham. The plan was focused on and fulfilled in Christ, his seed who would come. Fulfilling all of the gospel that was pictured in types and shadows and sacrifices and prophecies and prophets and all of that in the Old Testament. That was Jesus who comes and fulfills that grace found in him. He brought in grace and truth, John says. The story is much bigger than Abraham. It's much bigger than you. It's much bigger than me. God, through Abraham, would build a nation by grace through which he would bring forth his son who would set the world right, bring in everlasting righteousness and take us all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. These are promises that were fulfilled through the grace to life of Abraham who by God's grace became the father of all the faithful. Read Romans 4 of the Gentiles and the Jews. For Abraham it was to live as Christ (laughs) and to die as gain. And for us as well. But I wanted to end with just sharing a, a few characteristics of Abraham's faith. Stephen is going to continue this story. He's moving on to Isaac and Jacob, the twelve, the patriarchs, going through Moses and all of that. And eventually he confronts the leadership and, and he is um, martyred. But what are some of the characteristics of Abraham's faith that, that can encourage us? Number one, God's word was enough. God's word was enough for him. And you say, well yeah, well, yeah, it would be enough for me too if God appeared to me and spoke to me. No, Peter says you have it far better off because now we have the Word made more sure through the resurrection of Christ. We have the Word inscribed and written down. You have a better situation having this than having a theophany or a Christophany or some vision or appearance. But notice for Abraham, his Word was enough. He didn't have to know all the details. There's no record of him saying, but what about, what about, what about, Now, you know in his heart, and this was a process and there was a struggle in it, 
Just like it was when God asked him to sacrifice Isaac, which he never let him do because it was picturing Christ. But he rationally worked through it to faith. But he believed God's word. He believed God's promise. And that was enough. God had said to him what he was going to do and called him out. Is God's word enough for you? There are silly books written these days of people saying they need more. Anybody that tells you they need more than God's Word and the implication their book is the more than God's Word that you need? Trash. It's trash. God's Word is sufficient. It's what you need. It's all you need to be complete. We don't need to know all the details and the whys. We need to know the what, which is our God and His grace in Christ Jesus and His commands to us. And every principle in the Word can be applied to every decision that you need to make to come out where you need to come out. But let let me just quote to you 2 Timothy verse 16 and 17, chapter 3. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. New King James says, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God, it's The Word is God's Word. He's given us everything we need, Peter says, for life and godliness. We don't need... if we, Every detail we need to know to do what God's calling us to do, we have. We have it in the gospel. We have it in who God is. He's faithful and true and righteous and trustworthy. And if He'll sacrifice His Son for us, what will He withhold from from us? We can trust Him and take the next step, whatever that step is. We don't need anything other than God's Word. And it is sufficient. And He leads us through it. Jesus prayed, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We lose touch with that. We forget that. We're not taking God's word seriously and hiding it in our hearts and and consulting it for our every decision through prayer and getting counsel from godly people. But His Word was enough for Abraham. Secondly, Abraham was justified by grace alone and Christ alone through faith alone. Genesis 15.6, Romans 4. God did not justify Abraham on the basis of his works. And you say, what about James? And James says, I will show you my faith by my works. Faith is justified. It is shown to be true faith by the fruit that it bears in our lives of joyful obedience to God. James was showing what true faith looks like among us. Paul was talking about justification before God. He even uses that language in Romans chapter 4. There's not a contradiction between James and Rome and Paul. Rightly interpreting the word. Same word doesn't mean the same thing every time it's used. Abraham was justified by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. Number three, his confidence was in God's character. Now listen to me. His confidence was in God's character. His character. And his promises. God, who God was and what God had promised was enough. He didn't need all the details. Beware of, of disobedience, of waiting for all the details before you move when God's word is clear about what you need to do. Even Job, who suffered horribly, the only details he was given ever was who God was at the end of the book. And you know what he did? Sorry, not used to this yet. God, as an old preacher said, God put him in a shut-up. God closed his mouth with not why he did what he did and not all the details, but with who he was. Knowing who our God is as He's revealed Himself in His Word. Knowing what His promises are, that is enough. So that, number four, Abraham was confident in the present. Just like David and just like we can be. That he had everything he needed. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does that mean? 
I'll have everything I need because the shepherd is with me. I'm in his flock. He's providing for everything I need. If I don't have it today, I don't need it today. Your situation is perfect for you individually to do God's will, which is to grow in grace and to be more like Jesus. And when you truly need something else, He will give it to you. Abraham was confident in the present, just like David, just like we can be, that we have everything we need. He was confident in the future with what is in God's Word. The promises that he had were enough. And we have way more promises than he did. Peter says, this is enough for me to live and thrive in Christ. He viewed Abraham's faith allowed him to view this world as temporary and not his home. He had a better inheritance coming. And his hope was there. His storing up his treasure there. His eyes on his Savior. This world cannot sustain your joy and it's not meant to. And the troubles we have in this life simply remind us of a lot of things. But they remind us that this is not our home. Like Abraham, we're just passing through. And as we pass through, we're to live for his glory. So our seed in heaven. He grew in faith. This will give you a little bit of relief. Abraham's faith grew as he walked with God. And that's why I'm telling you, go back and read his story. His faith was not perfect at first. He, he didn't do everything perfect. He did some dumb stuff. I can enter that club. He paid stupid tax. We all do. When we don't trust God and run off on our own way, right? His faith was not perfect at first, but then when you read when you read about him in the New Testament, his failures aren't mentioned because why his Savior took care of those. But he had just like David, just like all Moses, just like the heroes of the faith. They're people just like us who grew in faith as they walked with God. Read Genesis twelve to twenty five about Abraham, and listen to this. This is the last thing I'll say: his faith was birth. It was sustained and it was completed by God, His sovereign God. He persevered because God preserved. The moment God takes His hand off of us, we, if He did. Like Romans says and like Ephesians says, other places say that faith is a gift. It's part of that grace by salvation through, by faith. By grace, through faith, alone, in Christ alone. It's God birthing us spiritually and growing us through difficulty and taking us all the way home to the new heavens and the new earth. This is just a snapshot of the life of the person we know as Abraham. Father of a multitude, father of nations, father of the faithful. And we're going to look at more next week as Stephen continues his talk and we sort of use it to do an Old Testament overview or refresher. There's a lot here for us as Stephen moves on to Isaac and Jacob and the Twelve and on to Moses. Abraham is an example of God's grace to undeserving sinners and of His gift of growing, enduring faith. And the faith that believes God's Word is enough for life, for death, and for resurrection in Christ. And that God will take us all the way home to the new heavens and the new earth. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see and hearts to understand Your Word. Cause us to hope in Christ and in Christ alone. To trust and rest in Him. Your Word is true and the offer goes out to everyone. That whosoever believes 
will not perish but have everlasting life. Whosoever trusts in Jesus and in Jesus alone exhibits the faith that you give. A faith that is confident in you and your word and grows in it. We're not perfect to start with. That rests in you and hopes in your promises. A faith that is sufficient for today and tomorrow and for every day we face because we face them with you. We know that we love you because you first loved us. You loved us by sending your son, by sacrificing your son. Jesus came to live for us to die for us, to bear the wrath of God for us, to drink that cup dry through His death on that cross so that He could say, it is finished. And three days later, come out of that grave victorious. Spend some more time with His disciples and shoring them up in the gospel and then ascend into heaven, reigning on the throne today with all authority in heaven and on earth, to see his gospel go to the ends of the earth. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Jesus. It's really that simple. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he was raised the third day. And like the tax collector who cried out, God be merciful to me a sinner. It really can be that simple. Trust in Christ, believe in Christ, receive Christ, and Christ alone. And the word says you will not be disappointed. And those of us who know Jesus need to hear that gospel every day and be reminded that it's not my works that make me right with God, that it's not my effort and my obedience that make me right with God, but that it is Jesus doing and dying and being raised from the grave. That Christ has loved us and come to save us and has accomplished our redemption so that we can trust and rest in Him. But part of that package is a new heart that loves Him and wants to walk with Him and obey Him. Oh Lord, work in us. Work in the ones that don't know you to have a new heart that loves and trusts Jesus. Work in those of us who do know you to grow in our love for you in our joyfully living for you according to your word and in being light and salt to you, for you, to those who don't know you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that we have a Savior and it is not us. Thank you that your salvation is a free gift. Because Christ has paid the penalty. He's established a true righteousness. He is raised from the grave and offers it as a free gift. Bless us and help us and watch over us and protect us. And help us every day to run quickly to you in your throne of grace. To receive the forgiveness, the mercy, the grace, the help we need. To walk in this world as an exile. And to walk in faith, believing your word is enough for us. But we give you praise. We pray for your blessing and help and we trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.